0: I don't think I have ever preached a Veterans Day sermon specifically. And uh, I'm going to today. So this will be my first Veterans Day sermon. And uh, uh, I also am preaching from a text that I don't think I've ever preached from. It's found in Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 8 through 39. So it's a long passage of Scripture. This is written toward the end of David's life. David, the great uh, psalmist and warrior and eventually king of Israel, uh, spent so much of his life in warfare. He spent a lot of his life fighting battles against the former king, King Saul and Saul's people, And then also against the Philistines and so many other people attacking from outside. And he didn't do it by himself. He had a a small ragtag army that, uh, that fought with him and fought for him. And among those men, there were about 30 men to whom he gives like the Congressional Medal of Honor. They were men of renown. They are called David's mighty men. David's mighty men. There are really about 37 of them that are listed. A few more are listed over in, in uh, Chronicles. But, uh, but I want us to think about these men. Now, I'll, I'll have trouble pronouncing some of their names, and, uh, but you, it won't matter to you because you couldn't pronounce them probably either. So we'll just try and take a stab at them. And, and uh, but here's my goal today: I want us to uh, see how the mighty valiant warriors who fought for David are honored in the Scripture, and I want us then to use that same way of thinking to honor the mighty warriors who fight in our behalf today and have over the years. And then I want us to think that we are in a spiritual warfare. All of us are soldiers of the cross. All of us are warriors for God. In fact, the Bible tells us to put on the full armor of God, and to stand, to to be strong like good soldiers for Jesus Christ. So even if you've never been in the military, you are in the Lord's military. Now, I may never march in the infantry. (laughs) I may never ride in the cavalry. I may never shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy. But I'm, what? In the Lord's army. Is that a new song to some of you? Some of you didn't even, did, you, did some of you not know that song? Okay, well, we used to sing it when I was a kid, and uh, we sang it to our kids, but we are. We're in the Lord's army. And uh, so I want us to do these three things. I want us to think about the mighty men of David that he honors in the near the end of his life, and then I want us to think about our mighty men and women who are in our army. And then I want us to think about how these principles apply to all of us who are in the Lord's army. And uh, it, is, uh, it is difficult. The, the Christian life was never intended to be easy. We think of it as easy in America. Because it is easy in America. We don't face persecution. At least at this point in time, we don't. It's actually sometimes advantageous to be a Christian in America. And uh but biblically speaking, at the time when the scriptures were written, it was costly. To be a Christian. Denise was telling me that she just was watching the Apostle Paul last night. Paul the Apostle. It wasn't... You didn't tell me that. And uh, if you watch movies from those times, and if you watch movies from our time that are placed outside of America, you find that it is costly, costly to be a devoted Christian in many, many parts of the world. And the truth is, we need a band of brothers and sisters today right here in Glen Heights who are willing to stand and fight the Lord's battles. Now, we don't... Our battles are not against flesh and blood, the Bible tells us. So, we don't go out in the neighborhood and beat people up and try to make them a Christian. We don't go bomb abortion clinics or burn down... Uh, 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 bars or honky-tonks or things like that because those aren't the enemy. The enemy is the, the spiritual enemy. Amen. And we fight with, battle- with weapons, not AK-47s. We fight with truth. The word of truth is the sword of the Spirit. Yeah. But if we do that, there will be opposition. And there will indeed be warfare. When David Livingston, who was one of the pioneer missionaries to Africa, had been in Africa for a while, he received a letter from some friends in America, and they said, We would like to send some other men to help you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? He wrote them back, and he said, If you have men who will only come if they know there's a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. Hmm. I think maybe God would say that to us today. We, We tend to say, Lord, I'll serve you. Show me the easy place. And he says, you know, I don't want men who are looking for an easy place. I want men who are coming when they know that it's costly. There was a cartoon in the Leadership Magazine in 1988. It was kind of making fun of the low level of commitment among Christians in America. It pictured a church and a church building, and on the sign, it said, The Light Church, L-I-T-E, Light, not L-I-G-H-C, The Light Church. 24% fewer commitments home of the 7.5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, we have only eight commandments, your choice, and we use only three spiritual laws, and we have an 800-year millennium. Everything you've wanted in a church and less. And I'm afraid that's pretty much the way a lot of churches are today. We don't call for high commitment levels. We're willing to settle for low commitment levels. One pastor put it this way, 90% of our churches across the country require less commitment than the local Kiwanis Club requires. And that's true, isn't it? But it is costly, biblically It's costly. And down through the ages, whenever God has done a great work, a significant work, He's done it through a group of people who were willing to pay the price and suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not do it through lukewarm people, but only those who are fervent for Christ. So let's look at this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 23. I may have preached from one or two of these verses over the years, but I've never used this uh, whole uh, text. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. These are the names of David's... There we go. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb-Bashbeth-Tah. Tachemonite, Tachimonite, he was chief of the three. Would take you a while to call him by name, wouldn't it? I'm sure that they had a nickname for him. In fact, I think in the uh, King James it actually has a shorter name for him. Well, let's go back one more. Okay. And, uh, These are the names of the mighty men. It just says the Togmanite that sat in the seat. He was chief among the captains, the saint, and then going back to uh, where you were, the out of the King James. Let's go back to this one. Uh, He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Now, we know of the stories, about Samson killing a 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. But here we have another mighty man. He fought with 800 men at one time with just a spear. And he, uh, he defeated, killed them all. We, we don't even have a record of that story except right here. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. That's not a very comforting name, is it? The son of Ahohi. And he was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. So they were in this battle, and a lot of the, the, the his fellow soldiers retreated, and uh, say, and he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to his sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. So this says that Eleazar was in the front line against this uh, group of Philistines, and when the Philistines attacked, all of his men withdrew and left him standing alone in the middle of this field. And he stood there with his sword in his hand and he fought with that sword until when the battle was over, he couldn't even drop it. It just stuck to his hand. His hand gripped it so tightly, they couldn't take it out of his hand. And after he had defeated all the enemy, all of the other soldiers came back to gather the spoils. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, let's see. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Aege, the Horite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines and the Lord worked a great victory. This is another example. This is, again, a lot of the people withdrew, but he stood his ground. Shammah was his name. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. And when a band of the Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim, and David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. So you get the idea... The Philistines are encamped in Bethlehem, which was David's hometown, and David had grown up in Bethlehem, and David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. He looked, and he could see across the way the well that he drank from as a boy, and he said, Man, what I wouldn't give for a drink of water from from that well. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and they drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and they carried and brought it to David, but he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord. Now, this didn't mean he wasn't grateful, but we're told over in the Chronicles that he said, this, These men risked their life to bring me this water and I offer it Not selfishly, I'm not going to drink it. I'm going to offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. But these three mighty men, that'd make a great movie, wouldn't it? You could see Mel Gibson making a movie out of this, you know. These three guys, they hear David say, Ooh, I sure would like to have a drink from the well over there. They punch each other and say, Let's go get him a drink. And they uh, grab their swords and they go down, whip everybody along the way, draw some water out, bring it back to David. All right. He said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. These were the, these were the heroes. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, that was chief of the 30, he wielded his spear against 300 men, and he killed them, and he won a name, Beside the three. He wasn't one of the three, but he, he was ranked up there pretty high. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Beniah, I like Benaiah. This is one that I think I have preached on this one before. The son of Jehoiada was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two Ariels, that's two warriors, two giants, actually, of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. There's a book, a popular book that was written a few years ago called uh, 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 Killing a Lion in a Pit on a Snowy Day. and uh, And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man, The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with just a staff, and he snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. It's kind of a bloody chapter here, by the way. It's not not very pleasant. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three, and David set him over his bodyguard. So Benaiah was David's bodyguard. Azahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shammah of Harod, El-ka- uh, Elika of Harod, Helez, the Palatite, Ira, the son of Ikesh of Tekoa, Abiazar of Anathoth, Mabunai, the Hushathite, Zalmon, the Ahohite. What? Ahohite. Ahohite. Mahari of Netafaha. <laughs> you ever read the Hebrew phone book? Heleb, the son of Baanah, ba- of Netophah. Ha. <laughs> Ittai, the son of Ribai, <laughs> of Gibeah, of the people of Benjamin. Benaiah, of Pirathon. Hidai, of the brooks of Gosh. Oh, by the way, a lot of these names, a lot of the places they're from, were considered really, really backwater hick towns in that day. I've looked up some of them, and they were just no-place no, no place places. Abba-Albon, the Arbathite, Asmaveth of Baharim, Elaba, the, and the sons of Jeshim, Jonathan, Shammah, the Harahite, Ahiam the son of Sharar, the Harahite, you know why I've never preached on this passage before? You be anything. Elefet the son of Abishai the Maacah, of Maaca. Eliam the son of Ahithophel of Giloh. Hezro of Carmel. Paari the Arbite. Igal the son of Nathan of Zobah. Boni the Gadite. Zelech the Ammonite, Nahari of Beroth, the armor-bearer of Joab, he had a very important task, the son of Zeruiah. Ira the Ithrite, Garib the Ithrite, they may have been brothers. Uriah the Hittite, 37 and all. Uriah, of course, was the husband of Bathsheba. And... That's all. That's probably not what you normally... Yeah, there you go. Thank you. That's probably not what you normally read for your devotionals at night. But I think it's important to note that even in David's day, there were men who were recognized for their faithful, valiant service to David. Now, let me just tell you, what... The church needs today, this church needs today, mighty men and women who are attracted to the person of Christ. You know what made these men great men? They loved David. They had come to David, and the Bible tells us that they were men who were in debt. They were men who were discouraged. They were men who uh, who really needed a leader and they trusted and loved David. David did not conscript them into service; they all volunteered, and uh, and they loved David. The very fact that they would risk their life to go bring him a drink of water lets us know that it was that they had a deep love for David. They were attracted to David, and they were attracted to David's. Cause. Look at the men that were attracted to David. Well, I've already read all their names. Let me just say they were men from difficult backgrounds. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 22:2 that these were discontented, in debt, and distressed men. You know, when we come to Jesus, we come in debt. We have a debt we can't pay. We come distressed. We are without peace and hope. And we put our trust in him, and he wins our heart. Look what he says. David said, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to David. And he became captain over them. And there were with him about four hundred men. Let's look at who they were attracted to. They were attracted to a man who had been rejected. Let me tell you something. If you love Jesus, you are loving a man that most of the world does not love. You can talk about God in a generic sense, and people will tolerate that. But when you start talking about Jesus, you're going to have a reaction to that. People say that they're asked sometimes to pray at a school event or a ball game, and they're instructed, now, you can pray to God, but do not mention the name of Jesus. I've personally never been told that because every time I pray at a ball game I always pray in Jesus' name and I usually go ahead and preach the gospel in my prayer as well. But uh but today in many places the name of Jesus will get you in trouble. So we need men who are committed to our David Jesus and who are committed to his cause. But I want you to see the kind of commitment that they had. And my, I've, I've taken so much time reading all the names, I'm about run out of time. It's a commitment that overcomes the odds with faith in God. As I read through that long list, it said, and the Lord gave victory, and the Lord gave victory, and the Lord gave victory. And I want you to know we don't ever actually win victories in our name God gives us victories in his name and we can stand just like these men that stood against 800 men in the lentil field and his hand clave to his sword you say wow wasn't he something but he said and the Lord gave a great victory that day now we may be strong and do exploits But God gets all the glory. He's the one that wins the victory. Now, I tell you, the odds are against us today as Christians. The world is against us today as Christians. The devil is against us today as Christians. But if God is for us, who can stand against us? Amen. And then it's a commitment that endures, endures exhaustion. Eleazar, that we looked at in verse 10, said he fought until he couldn't even open his hand. He must have been exhausted. I tried to picture this last night as I was thinking about this, how that he must have thought, how many more? How many more? And he just kept on winning victory after victory after victory. And finally, totally exhausted, so tired, that he couldn't even drop his sword, but that's what we need today: is people who will keep on keeping on. Amen. People ask me sometimes, "Have you ever gotten tired of the ministry?" And I said, "No, I've never gotten tired of the ministry." But Brother John, I've gotten tired in the ministry a few times. There's the difference. I've gotten tired in the ministry in the, back in the 60s and 70s when I was just a very, very young preacher having to fight the fight for civil rights and for racial equality and to fight against people in Tennessee and Mississippi where the hatred was so strong and the prejudice was so strong and the opposition to the message of love and grace was so strong. There were lots of times I got really, really tired in the battle, but I never got tired of the battle. And uh, I pastored a church in Halls, Tennessee, and a liquor referendum came up, and uh, they were going to be voting on allowing liquor to be sold there in our town. And I was against it, and I fought against it. And then I found out that I had men in my church who were pushing it, and even a couple of deacons in my church who were who were strongly in favor of the referendum because it would bring more tax revenue into the town or something. And it got pretty nasty from time to time, and the battle raged. And there were times I got really tired in the battle. But by the way, the Lord did give victory, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, at least at that time. So you can count on being tired if you commit yourself to serve Christ. It's not going to be easy. The battle is not easy. But most battles aren't easy, are they? It wouldn't be a battle. If it was easy, it would be, what, a cakewalk or something like that. But these people battled even though they were exhausted. And then it requires a commitment that goes against the crowd. I think about these two men that were mentioned, and they began to fight, and all of a sudden they look around for their companions, and there's nobody there but them. And everybody is turned and run away. And there will be times in your Christian life where you will be asked to stand and you'll think there are others standing with you. But you'll look around and you'll find you're the only one standing. But you stand. And you stand even if you have to stand alone. And then it's a commitment that requires taking the initiative. I think about Benaiah who went down into that pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, why is that even mentioned in the Bible? You think, well, for one thing, that just became a famous story. Everybody said, you remember that day that there was that lion down in that valley down in that pit? And, uh, and everybody was scared of the lion, and Benaiah said, hey, I'll go take care of that. And he went down in there and killed that lion. Snow all around, and... Uh, and he gets in a pit with this lion on a snowy day. And we hear all this, rawr, 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 and all of a sudden, here comes Benai crawling out. We say, Whew. We didn't know who was going to come out of that pit. But it was Benai. So uh, he took the initiative. And sometimes it requires us to uh, take the initiative. What's the biggest uh, problem in America's church today? Well, there's lots of them. I don't know whether it's the biggest one or not, but one of them is just passivity, just particularly among men. Chuck Swindoll said passive men is the biggest problem in America's church today, men that depend on their wives to be the leader spiritually in the home." men who depend on their wives and their children to be the Bible readers and the prayer warriors. He said, what we need today is men who will put on their armor, get on their knees, lead their families, and be the warrior who leads in the battle. And then it needs to be a commitment that risks It's life itself. During the early years of the Africa Inland Mission, more missionaries died there in Africa from the harsh jungle conditions than Africans were becoming Christians. In other words, they'd send 100 missionaries... 90 of those missionaries would die, and only 10 or 15 Africans had become Christians. The area became known as the white man's graveyard. But still, the missionaries came. And they came packing their belongings in coffins. They brought their coffins with them because they anticipated that many of them would die. And the Africans were amazed at this determination. And they said, surely only a message of great importance would inspire men to come bringing their own coffins to be buried in. As comfortable American Christians, it's hard for us to relate to that kind of dedication. Isn't it? it is for me. And uh, I look back over 55, 56 years of ministry, and any tales that I would tell of persecution or abuse or criticism or rejection would be embarrassing to tell in contrast to what most Christians in most places are facing every day of their life. So what I want to call all of us to today is to be soldiers for Christ. In the same way that we honor our veterans today, for their service to our country, I want us all to be veterans in service for our king. And it will require commitment, a consistency, a sacrifice, a willingness even to die if necessary. And every soldier who goes into our military goes with the awareness that he could be one remembered on Memorial Day and not just Veterans Day and every Christian who takes a stand for Jesus, the rejected Savior should know that it could cost us and should cost us our life to serve him So where do we start? I think we start by saying, I don't want to be passive. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be average. I want to step up and be one willing to lay down my life for the gospel and for my Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I pray that you will overcome the worldliness and the laziness, the fearfulness that we face in our generation and in our part of the culture and help us to be motivated by these mighty men of David and realize that Christ also needs and wants mighty men and women who will stand forth, even if they have to stand alone, and they will fight even to the death in order that Christ might be made known. And I pray that you will help us to be some of those mighty men and women. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you are not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.